Well, greetings again. It's just, it's great to be together on Christmas Eve and especially nice this year. It seems like it's been kind of a tough fall, uh, especially everything that's gone on in our community. And in this neighborhood, it was uh, the gas explosions impacting this neighborhood. This building, we were without heat in this building for over two months. And for those of you who attend here regularly, you know how cold it got in this room. And then we got temporary heat. You know how hot it got in this room. And I think we're just about right. I just before worship, I turned the snow machine on low, and you got to see that earlier, so everything seems to be working well. Um, but our kitchen is still down in the building, and it's one of these projects that just, you try to do everything right, you know, we get the new stove, and the plumber comes and says, can't hook up that stove, because the hood over the stove is no good, you need gas interlock, you need fire suppression, you need an electrician, and a, new, and a mason, a new vent, and it's going to be the middle of January before we get this, uh, the crazy project done. And, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's not that bad. We're safe. We're here. We still have people in our church who, who don't have heat in their homes, including uh, one of my staff members. And, um, but I heard the story of a man in North Andover, and I didn't feel so bad for myself. Uh, and I read this story in the, uh, I saw it on the news, and the, during, when the gas explosions were happening, the police came through his neighborhood and said, you got to get out of here. So he, like many of the people in this area, uh, as a precaution, he shut off the gas to his house, and he got out of town, went to a hotel for the night. And then a few weeks go by, and he called the gas company. And he said, hey, when are you going to turn the gas back on on my street? And, and the person on the phone said, well, your, your street isn't scheduled yet. And then some more time goes by. He calls again. Uh, my street's not, uh, my, when are you going to relight my street? And this goes on. He actually uh, opened a claim with the gas company uh, for his hotel room and some other expenses. And he gets a call back from the claims people and said, uh, we regret to inform you, you do not live in the impacted area. That this entire time, you could have had your gas on. The gas was never shut off on your street, and he just did it himself to his house. Uh, but they, and they kind of, they felt bad for him, they had a little chuckle, ha ha, ha I'm not on my street. We say, we'll send out a technician tomorrow, no big deal, we'll, we'll relight your furnace. So uh, the technician comes out, takes one look at his furnace and says, I'm sorry, I cannot relight this furnace. This is not properly vented, and I'm sorry. Uh, so he, oh, and they said, and you live outside of this impacted area, so can't help you. We can't fix it for you. So he realized, he calls his plumber. His plumber is backed way into January uh, to get him a new furnace, so he still is without heat. He goes to hook up his space heaters and realizes that his uh, electricity is deficient. He can't hook up space heaters in his home. So the, some folks from the town give him a generator so that he can run his space heaters. And then the next day, Columbia Gas and took his generator away. And they said, uh, the town wasn't supposed to give you. That's our generator, and you're not in the impacted area. So you do not get a generator. So this poor man, uh, just trying to do what was right, has been out of heat the whole time. He could have just, if he had never shut it off, he probably would have been fine. Poor guy, no solution, no rescue. But I was thinking about it, and isn't this how life works sometimes? You're just trying to do what's right. You're just trying to get along, and just everything is frustrated. One problem leads to the next. Um, you know, you try to fix something and you end up making it worse. Maybe you've bought a gift for somebody that requires some assembly and you start to put it together and you use the wrong screws. Or you get a piece of Ikea furniture, you've ever done this, and you use the wrong screws. So you have to disassemble it and then you reassemble it, but because the, the wrong screws were a little bigger than the right screws, now it's all wobbly and rickety and it's brand new. And the more you try to fix it, the more it just gets worse. Your only hope in that situation is to just return it and exchange it for a brand new one. Uh, but 
it makes me think of this, the Christmas story, the, the, the character Joseph, who found himself in uh, one of these situations. He just couldn't fix it. He, his wife is pregnant, or he's uh, pledged to be married to Mary, and she's pregnant. He knows it's not his. And he's not a bad guy. The Bible teaches that he was a, a righteous guy. He was an upright kind of guy. Uh, but he had no choice. The Jewish law required that he would divorce her. And he could have done it in a way that uh, penalized her, humiliated her. He didn't want to do that. He just, he, he had it in his mind to just do it quietly, sort of privately, without undue humiliation. And he was just going to end things to her as kindly as he could. But, you know, as good as he was and as upright of a guy as he was, he still had this unfixable problem. Because there's Mary. She has no hope. She can't legally become married to someone else. She can't be employed. I mean, she, her, her life is hopeless. And then this guy, he clearly loved her. And now he's got this broken relationship. It's an unfixable problem. But here's what God does. In the midst of these unfixable problems, and this is what was just read for us, after Joseph had considered this, after considering ending things with Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And I want to make three observations from this for us. My first observation is that everybody needs a Savior. When we talk about having a Savior or salvation, we, we can be inclined to think that that's for bad people. Evil people need a, a, a Savior. Bad people need a Savior. But even good and moral people inevitably will fall short. Someone like Joseph. In his culture, there was no second chances for Mary. There was no choice, and he was obligated to end things with her. And for us, my guess is that most people in this room, you have some sort of situation in your life that is just unfixable. And as you try to fix it, it just seems to get worse. Maybe like Joseph, it's around a marriage or a relationship. And, and there's, there's trouble, and you're trying to work on it. But then you have a conversation, and you're, you're trying to fix it, and it gets worse. There's a fight, and it seems like you end up in worse shape than when you started. Or for you, maybe it's a health issue. One diagnosis leads to another, leads to an unfixable diagnosis. Maybe for you, your unfixable problem is a financial issue. And you're trying to get out of debt, and you get your budget in line, and you do all the right things, and then boom, an unexpected expense, more debt, worse shape. Could be a work issue, a legal issue, a whatever issue. And again, it's my guess that nearly everyone here tonight has one of those things in your life, at least, that you, you just wish you could fix it, but you know you can't. And what I say is you need a Savior. See, all those things we struggle with, are all these frustrations of life, they are a result of sin. We, we were made by God to have a perfect experience of God and an ex, a perfect experience of life, but sin is a problem. All of the frustrations of life is the result of sin. All creation is groaning. And we sang that in that song, the He Shall Reign song, all in the bleak midwinter, all creation groans. That's a phrase right from the Bible, from Romans chapter 8, that all of the creation that God made is groaning because of sin, longing for salvation, subject to frustration. 
We tend to think of sin as the bad things that we do. And certainly, yes, that, that is part of it. But sin is more than that. Sin doesn't just make us guilty. Sin ruins life. It frustrates all of life. There's your sin, there's everybody else's sin, and then just living in a broken and sinful world where sin impacts everything. And it breaks down all the good things God intends for us. And as long as we remain in it, we'll always sense that frustration. We'll have longings that will never be fulfilled. We need a Savior. Everyone needs a Savior. And that's the first observation. Which leads to our second observation, is that the Savior's name is Jesus. God sends his messenger to Joseph, and he said, you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Give him the name Jesus. And that's important. And it's, why is it so important? It, it, well, in a general sense, God has a name, and therefore God is knowable. We can know God in a personal way. Jesus arrives. This is God revealing himself to the world. Before that, we didn't have a complete picture of who God was. Only part of it. Now God reveals himself to the world in, in a progression, and it's unfolding through time, and now God reveals himself in Jesus. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 1, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. That's Jesus. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. The, Paul, one of the early Christians, he wrote, in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. How do we know what God is like? We look at Jesus. It, we know what God looks like. Je Jesus, the face and the form of God revealed. A Jewish baby born in Bethlehem. Not just any baby, but the very face of God. I don't care much for the, the song, Mary, Did You Know, for a number of reasons. I know some of you love it. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Uh, but there is a line in that song where it says, when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Which is true. God taking human form. He became squishy baby. Vulnerable, human, knowable. So in a general sense, the Savior, his name is Jesus, means God has a name and can be known. But in a more specific sense, the fact that Jesus is the Savior, his name specifically means the Lord saves. Jesus is just the, the way we say, really, it's the name Joshua or Yeshua, which is a very common name in Jesus' day. The first Joshua that we know of uh, in the Old Testament of the Bible, he was a military leader. He was Moses' right-hand man. His given name was Hosea. And then Moses sort of gave him a new name, gave him a compound name. He added uh, the name of God, Jehovah, or better pronounced Yahweh, uh, to Hosea, and gave the name Jehoshea, or Yahushua, or Yahshua, uh, Joshua, or Jesus, we say. And I, all that means that his name says the Lord saves. He came to save. Jesus is the Savior, and it's in his name that we are saved. In the Bible, Acts chapter 4 says, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This was not a popular notion in Jesus' day. 
In the world that Jesus was born into, the Roman world, there was a lot of uh, different gods and different religious thoughts, a very pluralistic type of a place. And it was not popular to say that it's only in the name of Jesus that people could be saved. And in our world today, just as unpopular. People don't want specificity. Nobody wants to be pinned down. But in this type of a world, we need certainty. That's why this is good news. And Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus is the Savior. He is the way. There is no other name by which we can be saved. Salvation is not about being more religious. Salvation is not about uh, being more spiritual or even having hope or even having more faith. Salvation is specific. It's about Jesus. And until you find it in Jesus, you will never find it at all. Everyone needs a Savior, and the Savior's name is Jesus. And my third observation is that Jesus saves us. How? Well, we turn to this passage from Hebrews that was read for us. Let me read it again. It says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. That's not a pleasant thought to think about death and judgment, but because God is a God of love and justice, someone has to pay for every wrong. And the way that it works in God is either you pay or somebody pays for you. And Jesus paid the price for us. It's kind of a bad analogy, but that piece of Ikea furniture that you've ruined before you even got to enjoy it. Uh, if, you, if you take it back to the store, really, if you're honest, you'll just buy a whole new one because you screwed up the first one. But you maybe they'll exchange it for you, but somebody has to pay for it. The, the store pays for it or the manufacturer. Somebody has to pay for it. And Jesus paid for our sin. He paid for our life with his. That precious little baby in the manger, those, those little tiny feet born so that they one day would walk up a dusty hill called Calvary. His cute little baby hands would grow and one day be nailed to a cross and that tender little body wrapped in cloths was meant to bleed and to die for you and for me. And in doing so, Jesus pays the penalty for sin. And he breaks the power of sin. And one day, and one day, he will save us from the very presence of sin. Again, this passage says, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. You know, the point is here that if we put our faith in Jesus, we can experience healing today. We can experience his presence today. But it's not just for today. That'd be too little for God. It's for today and it's for all time. Verse 28, he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. At his first coming, he, he takes care of the penalty of sin and the power of sin. At his second coming, the very presence of sin is gone and that's for those who are waiting for him in faith and waiting in faith is not just sitting around hoping that jesus does something in the world but it's about eager anticipation and active faith it's hopeful it's our days can be different we wait for him we we wait for him by encouraging one another by loving as he loved by trusting him with our every struggle in life and we all need a savior the savior's name is jesus and jesus saves and for many of you here you know this this is a reality in your life. Tomorrow's Christmas Day, and it can be for you just a beautiful reminder that Christ came to save people, and he will return to complete all his saving work. And your celebration tonight and tomorrow uh, can just be marked with hopeful anticipation, 
no matter how fulfilling or how painful it is, because you know that in Jesus, the future is always better. Better things are in store for us. Maybe tonight you're just kind of exploring this Jesus thing. Um, you're not sure about all this. For you, I want to point you to our Alpha course on the back of your um, the, the handout you got when you came in. It talks about in January there'll be a check it out in a winter course. It's a great place to explore questions about who is Jesus and how do I have faith and, and what is this all about. Many people have found it helpful. I want to invite you to come to that. But maybe tonight you know you want it now and you know this Christmas you're in a pit and, and you want out. Uh, let me just let me read you this illustration here. A man fell into a pit and he couldn't get himself out. And a sympathetic person came along and said, I feel sorry for you down in that pit. Walked along. A logical person came by and said, I can see how you would fall down in that pit. A judgmental person came by and said, you must have done something to deserve that pit. An engineer uh, calculated exactly how he fell into the pit. News reporter wanted the exclusive story about the pit. An IRS agent, IRS agent walked by asking if he was paying taxes on his pit. Self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. The optimist said, things could be worse. Pessimist said, things will be worse. But Jesus, seeing the man, reached down, took him by the hand, lifted him out of the pit. That's why we celebrate Christmas. We all need a Savior. The Savior's name is Jesus, and Jesus saves us. And he doesn't just reach down his arm. He gave his life in our place on the cross. Hallelujah. Let's pray. And I'm going to pray out loud, and in the silence of your heart, you could pray something like this. Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, to see me in my weakness and my sin, and to forgive me. I ask you come into my life to live in me and to do your good work in me. Thank you for lifting me out of my pit. I will never let go of your hand, and I know even greater that you will never let go of mine. I trust you as my Savior. I follow you as my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.